Good evening. There's a few of us tonight, kind of looking around who's not here, but I'm seeing right now. Yes. Our study tonight's going to come from Isaiah 65. So if you're Bible, we'll turn over to Isaiah 65, starting in verse 17. This comes from our reading. So we're reading through the last part of Isaiah. And we've been noting and seeing hints of this and mentions of our subject matter tonight. And as I was reading through it, I thought there's nothing better to, to look at and to review, I think, uh, on the subject that, that stood out to me, I think, is in regards to relevance. So we're going to look at the subject, the new heavens and new earth that Isaiah makes reference to. And we've seen hints of this throughout the book of Isaiah. We've seen constant references to a time of which God's people will live in the city, in the new Jerusalem, and that God will wipe away all tears and crying. And it's repeated. It's in chapter 25 and chapter 30 and other chapters and places. I, I cannot recall all of them right now. In fact, I wish I had a list of them. As I was reading through Isaiah this last time, it stood out to me how many references there, there, there are to us living in this place of eternal life, in that place of the resurrection and so I look forward to it. I think it's a great thing. As we, we think about this subject, let's ask the question, how does what you hope for in this life compare to what you hope for in the afterlife? So in this life, we might hope for certain things. We might hope for a good marriage and a healthy family, that things go well, that our occupation goes well, that we can have a, a nice home and, you know, Make sure that our family is taken care of and provided for, that we increase in our education. We can put, make a whole list of them. Some of them can become, if you're not a Christian, become quite profane, the things that people might want, that they might look forward to. Maybe they want popularity or power or authority over others. Maybe they want vast property and um, wealth. Um, maybe they're always thinking about the next car or the next house or the next spouse. I don't know. There's some strange things that people put their focus on. I think about that and I also think about the afterlife. We have all these things that we might picture, things that we have in our life right now that we wish that uh, will improve for us. And I don't know how much that changes as, um, as we age, or what's on that list. But a lot of us are looking for ways that we can be a better comfort and handle the things in this life. But what about the next life? What happens after this one? What happens after death? I know much of the world doesn't want to think about that. They want to dismiss it, not hear it. Or they want to tell themselves the same thing that I've repeated a lot. Good people go to heaven. I'm a good person. Therefore, I'm going to heaven. Essentially saying, God, you owe it to me. It's a sad state and something to say, but many people claim that and believe it. And it's contrary to the gospel and what we read in the Bible that it is God, is what the Bible says, who makes us good. He is the one who saves us. We're saved by grace and not by our own works or merits. And that's the truth of it. But as far as the afterlife, what do you look forward to? And I grew up and I heard many, I've heard teachers and Bible class teachers and, and preachers say, we don't have no idea what the afterlife is going to be like. Everything we read about is just symbolic. And we have no picture whatsoever. And it seems very strange. 
Of all the things we can look for in this life, and you can see why some people get so overwhelmed with it, but there's no picture, there's nothing to be looking for and hoping for. And I remember hearing that, and that was just kind of a, was a big downer for me growing up as a kid. I heard a few things here and there, things that people would speculate about what it will be like in the heavenly kingdom, but no real details. So I love this scripture here that we're going to look at tonight. Isaiah 65 verses 17 and 20, and we'll go a little bit further with it. Let's begin reading, and we'll make some comments and observations from the text. So Isaiah chapter 65, and let's begin in verse 17. Isaiah has written here, he says, For behold, and speaking, in, these are God's words through the prophet Isaiah, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, for the former shall not be remembered or come into mind. So it sounds like Revelation. Revelation 21 and verse 1. The old heaven and old earth pass away. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. And that it is echoing and referencing here from Isaiah. It won't even come to mind. That's something to think about. The new heaven and new earth will be such an amazing place, such an engaging place, such a wonderful place, that our former, former dwelling in this earth will not be remembered anymore. Think about that. Let's keep reading. Verse 18. He says, But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. Well, what is God saying here? I create it. You take joy in it and you be glad in it. This is something to look forward to. It's not something to, to dismiss. And I've heard individuals say and dismiss and say, Oh, the new heavens and new earth. That's not real. That's not literal. I've heard it throughout the brotherhood. I've heard it from others. It's not a real place. It's just a vivid description of heaven and none of it's real it's just figurative as i continue to read that it just takes all the point out of it all the joy out of it god says he creates new jesus says i go away to do what to prepare a place for you what a shame for us to say well what did he really mean by that i mean god's in heaven and heaven's always been there so what's he really making that's new I wonder about that kind of skepticism. So when I read this scripture and I hear right here, be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem, be glad of my people. And you read that as well in, in Revelation 21 and other scriptures as well. There will be a new Jerusalem, Hebrews chapter 11. There will be a new Jerusalem, a city in which we will dwell and we will live in the heavenly homeland, the heavenly country. That's Hebrews 11 and verse 10 and verse 16. He says, no more will be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. We continue to read about that throughout the, Isaiah. We see it throughout the New Testament. There will be no more crying and weeping. God will wipe away all tears. He will heal the nations. Verse 20, No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days. When you think about that, I've often thought about the number of children who have died in infancy and in their youth. Or you think about the millions of aborted children in the course of, of history and even in the course of the United States being about, what, 60 million abortions that have happened since 1973 that are on record. What happens to those, those infants? So we have a depiction here, the new heavens and new earth, says no more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days. So an infant who dies will come to maturity and live 
and live in eternity with God. For theirs is the kingdom, is what Jesus says, Matthew 18. So I'm encouraged by that. Now keep reading. It says, or an old man who does not fill out his days. So the older man, you would think, well, what, doesn't he fill out his days? Or he doesn't finish his days? Or maybe he doesn't complete it? But if he goes to the new heaven and new earth, he goes to the promise of which God says, where he will have eternal life, he will have days unending. Keep reading. It says, for the young man shall die a hundred years old. You think about that. The man who dies at a hundred years old, in the new heavens and new earth, he is a young man. It says, and the sinner, a hundred years old, shall be accursed. So say someone here who is a sinner in rejection of God, he's rebelling against God, and he dies at a hundred years old. He's accursed in the afterlife. It's against him. He's done it. I read these things, and, and God again saying, I create a new heavens and new earth. I create for what you should have joy in and rejoice over. And I look forward to it, and I think about it. I think about passages like this. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 13, where Peter, he talks about there coming a time where people will mock the idea that God created the heavens and the earth. And not only that, they mock it, they mock the idea and forget that the earth was flooded. These are things that actually happen in the Bible. God created the heavens and the earth. There was a flood. And then he goes on to say, and that the heavenly bodies will be dissolved in fire. That's what's going to happen, 2 Peter chapter 3. And that the earth is going to be exposed, if not burnt up, completely. Now, there's some discussion of that, whether it happens completely or not. I don't think it makes any difference. We know the old heaven and the old earth pass away. But in the end, every bit of that is, is literal, it's reality. It's what's going to happen. It's according to God's promise. And then Peter says this, but according to his promise, according to God's promise, what according to God's promise? Where is this promise? Listen to this. We are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. I can say that, but I'm afraid some people can't. They'll, they'll say, I'm waiting for this or that. But I'll say, I'm waiting for a new heavens and a new earth. Why can I say that? Because Peter said it. And I can say it because he said according to the promise. What promise? Isaiah 65 is the promise. God made the promise. Peter says, I'm waiting for it. New heavens and new earth. And he says, what's going to dwell there? Righteousness is going to dwell there. I want a part in that. So I ask you the question tonight, are you waiting for the new heavens and new earth? Do you take joy in it, thinking about it? Do you expect it? Yes, there are some passages that give us figurative descriptions. I mean, I might wonder how... Large the walls are of the new Jerusalem as they're depicted in the book of Revelation. Is this symbolic or is it really going to be that way? I don't know, but I look forward to it. Will there really be streets of gold? I hope so. I like that idea. That we'll be resurrected bodily from the dead? I know that. I know we'll be resurrected like Christ and we better have something to walk on. So we're going to be walking on the new earth. Streets of gold, that sounds amazing. So... I think on the other hand, was it bad that God created the first heavens and the, and the first earth? What does the Bible say in Genesis? God created it and, and, it, and it was good. So God made it good. But in the fall of man and the bringing in of death and corruption, we see in the Bible that these things are going to pass away. And because it's good, God creates again something that is eternal. Where when we're resurrected and we, our bodies, are rebuilt, restored, and we put on the immortal, imperishable nature, we're going to live there. It's amazing. 
It's certainly not bad that God created the first heavens and the first earth. I've heard some people speak of it that way. What will we do in the new heavens and new earth? What will it be like? I like the depiction here in Isaiah 65. And I'd rather err on the side of taking this as real than not. And everything I'm reading, I have no reason to think of it otherwise. Look with me in verses 21 to 25, and let's finish the chapter. Verse 21, they shall build houses and inhabit them. I'm just going to pause for a second while I'm thinking about this. There have been some who said, well, the new heavens and new earth here, it's not the same as the one in Revelation. This is talking about, it's a figurative description of peace in the church. Or the millennial age. Or the time in which Christ will rule on earth. And I think about that, and I can't add it up. It doesn't, nothing lines up there. It just seems like speculation. Just, that's what I want it to be, so I'm going to call it that. And I've talked to some brethren about that. I said, what does the passage say? We can only go with what the Bible says. So again, this is what we see, what's been revealed by God. Let's start again, verse 21. They shall build houses and inhabit them. Well, if there's a new heaven and new earth, we're resurrected bodily. I don't see anything wrong with us building houses and inhabiting them. They shall plant vineyards. When we read Revelation, we'll eat from the tree of life. I don't see anything wrong with that. It says we're going to gather and sit at the table and eat with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. That's what Christ says. That's what's written in Scripture. I have seen nothing wrong with us actually eating. Some might question that. I don't at all. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They'll be in peace. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. You think about how long. What, what lives the longest here on earth? Right now. I can't think of anything that lives longer than trees. And that's the point. It's like the days of trees shall be the days of my people. It says, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. Someone might say, well, will we, will we bear children? I can't say when this is. I would assume this is bearing children in this time period, but your children, if they're faithful, they won't face calamity. They'll have eternal life. You don't have to fear that anymore. Now I think about my kids. I want them to grow up and be healthy. I pray for that all the time, and I want them to make it. But the number one place I want them to be is to have eternal life and to be with Christ and to be in that place. And so we read here, and bear children for calamity. It won't happen anymore. For they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. And while they're yet speaking, I will hear. And then he has a description here. The wolf and the lamb will graze together. And that would be an amazing thing as well. I would imagine there would be other creatures there in this place that God has created. Why not the wolf and the lamb? And they lay down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The dust shall be a serpent's food. And they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. That's a beautiful description. I want a part of that. I want to have a part in the new heavens and the new earth. The Bible describes it as the eternal kingdom, the heavenly kingdom. Calls it the new world in Hebrews 2 and verse 5. There's a lot of different descriptions of this place throughout the New Testament. We need to take joy in it because the Bible tells us to. Hebrews 11 and verse 16 says... But as it is, they, this is talking about the faithful because it's the chapter of faith. It says, they, the faithful, desire a better country. I do. But what kind of better country? He says, that is a heavenly one. Yes, I want a heavenly one. In this dimension in the earthly world, 
and in, in our universe is different. It's separate from where God is in the dimension of what is the heavenly. Well, come when we are ascended, when we are resurrected, we enter into that other dimension. It is called heavenly, where that new heavens and new earth is, where God, what God has prepared for us. And says, therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. He has prepared for them a city. I believe it. I read it. And I know it's true. So why are, people, why are some people not eager? Why do that hope for the new heavens and new earth? I think a lot of it ties in many times that people don't hope for the resurrection. They don't understand it. They don't understand what Christ accomplished by his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. I think sometimes it's sin. Sin distracts. People would rather think about their pleasure and their pride and their coveting here and their ambitions in this life and not think about God and not think about what God has given for them to have joy in. What a shame that is. I'll finish with this passage from Romans chapter 8, 23 to 25. Paul says, and not only the creation, he says, but we ourselves who are the first fruits of the Spirit we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. And now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So we need the patience, we need endurance, we need the joy. We need to continue to look for this eternal life that Christ promises to us. I encourage you tonight, if you haven't put on Christ in baptism, you need to do that. You need the hope of eternal life. You need the hope of the resurrection. You need to rise into a new life now. Live a life free of sin now. Christ will wash away all your sins by His blood if you would confess your faith in Him, repent of your sins, be buried in baptism, and rise up into the newness of life. You need prayers, you need encouragement. We encourage you to come now. Let's sing together.